I'm Haley Oaks, and this is Milk Trails. A journey in the out-of-hospital birth experience. Alana, an ER nurse in her native Australia, wanted to have a home birth for her second child here in the States, but she was met with cultural confusion, financial difficulties, and medical resistance. Although her first child was induced and born at 34 weeks due to growth restriction, she knew as a healthcare provider and intuitive mother that this previous experience did not risk her out of a home birth for her second child. She managed to find an OB and a midwife who co-managed her pregnancy and the health of her growing baby. Redemption was sweet, albeit hard work, when she spontaneously went into labor at nearly 40 weeks, supported by her midwife and surrounded by her loved ones. Welcome, Alana. Thanks for having me in your <laughs> home where you gave birth to baby Saul how many months ago? Five months Five ago. Five months ago. Almost to the day. Oh, oh hello. <laughs> <laughs> Just to start, kind of in your background of your exposure um, to birth and having and having your own children, what, what, what did you know about childbirth um, before becoming a mother? Well, the first birth I ever got to see was my own mother's birth um, when she delivered my baby brother um, when I was five years old, which was pretty life-changing for me. I think I had been so desperate for a sibling for so long. I remember saying to my mom, like, I want a sister. I want a sister. I want a sister. Mom, I don't even care. I'll take a brother. I just, I want a sibling. Um, and I remember my mom being huge. And then I remember my dad telling me, Mom's going to have a baby tonight. So this is a home planned home birth? It wasn't a home birth. It was um, going to, it was in hospital, but it was a community hospital. So it's like a 15 minute drive from a house. It's all run by midwives. They did have. Um, operating theatres there so they could do C-sections um, with an on-call OB if they needed it. Um, so my dad said, you know, mum's in labour, you're going to have to get up now, we're going to go meet your brother or sister. So he was sitting there calmly eating his cereal. My mum was standing in the hallway being like, all right, let's go. And I remember when we got there, they said, you can stay in the room or you can go watch TV in the family room if you want. Um, so I went and watched TV in the family room. <laughs> and, um, Did it seem like pretty intense at that point that you just kind of felt like you needed to like step away? I mean, do you remember? I think I just never got to watch TV. So the whole idea of being able to watch TV was like, yes, yeah. I'd love that. Um, I remember seeing my mom squatting down and not like sort of focusing on me at all. And I thought, I don't really need to, to be here right now. I mean, it's all very vague, but I do remember my dad coming back to get me. He said, you know, the baby's almost here, so come on in and, and, and see. And the first thing I saw was his head crowning and my mum was pushing. And it was, like, so surreal. And when he was born, you know, newborn babies, they're blue. So for the longest time, I was like, my little blue brother, he's so... <laughs> so blue and I don't remember being frightened at all I don't remember being like wow this is overwhelming I think it was just this is normal this is what my mom's doing there are people here to help and then I got to cuddle him she stayed 
I think she stayed an extra two nights just because she could. Mm -hmm. They offered and said, do you want to stay for longer? And she was like, yeah, I do. (laughs) I don't have to do anything. I can just hang out here and be with the baby. And I remember going in to visit, you know, every day with my dad to see him too. And I think the age... The age gap for us was great because there was five and a half years between us. So I remember everything. And from the very beginning, he was my precious little baby brother that I think I tried a little bit too much to help out with. (laughs) Um, So that was my first birth. Um, The subsequent births that I saw were probably in nursing school. So on our LMD rotation, um, it was actually the same hospital that my mum gave birth in which has now, it has now closed down um, because it was very, it was very old. A public health hospital initially and then maternity hospital and probably didn't meet code. Um, So, yeah, it closed um, after, I think, only a a year after I did my clinicals there and became just a public health department office type place for um, community midwifery program and community nurses. Mm -hmm. So when I was on rotation, I saw spontaneous vaginal deliveries and a few C-sections, which I think really put me off having a C-section. Wasn't so much the process of it all. It was the the anaesthetic, like getting the spinal. But I was just like, nope. (laughs) That is not for me. I do not want that giant needle in my back. There is no way that you can make me stay still when I'm laboring to put that in my back. Mm -hmm. So from that point onwards, I think I was like, I don't need to have a C-section. That's not for me. Unless, like, I'm dying, you know, or the baby's dying. Like, that is not happening for me. Um, And the the hospital was midwife-led. I think when my mum delivered there, our family practitioner was the OBGYN that would turn up and he wasn't there for the birth. He came afterwards. Right. And it was like no big deal, you know, and her birth, they were both on her due date. Um, They were both at nine o'clock in the morning and they were both really short labors. Wow. With no complications. That's incredible. So in my head, I'm like, that's what birth's about. That's what being (laughs) pregnant's about. That's what I've seen. It's all good. And my mum never really talked about it apart from to say there wasn't really much to talk about. It just happened. Um, Following that, um, I guess my friends started having babies. Um, One of my first friends, I had a baby. She had a home birth. I think her mum probably had a home birth, and that's why she had one, if my memory serves me. And so she was on the community midwifery program, um, which is – a public health program associated with an OBGYN hospital mm-hmm. um, where you have midwifery care from 16 weeks onwards. You see a backup um, OB at 31 weeks and otherwise it's a planned home birth. You can also use those midwives in the birth centres that are attached to the main hospital. Wow. Um, it's all free. Amazing. <laughs> it's great. It's really great. So she had a a very easy birth at home, loved it. We went to see her the next day. She was all wrapped up in bed with her baby, and I was like, oh, my God, this looks like bliss. Mm -hmm. This is what I want. Another friend had a baby as well, but she had her baby in hospital, and I think she ended up not progressing. They gave her Pitocin. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and she had a not a great experience. She was actually first before our other friend. She was only 21. Mm. It was all a bit, you know, much, I think. And none of us had had babies either, so she was the first. And you don't really know. You don't know what you don't know until you know it. Yes. <laughs> Since then, she's had two more babies, um, both born at home. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Hmm. And very easy breaths. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of my birthing caveat. I haven't really had much other experience. I've never seen any other babies being born apart from during my studies mm -hmm. and the occasional accidental I'm in labor birth in the ER, right. <laughs> <laughs> which is always a complete nightmare because you get a million people in the room and everyone's trying to do something and see it because it doesn't happen that often. Oh and, you know, it's not, it's not an ideal space for people to have a baby, yeah. especially if they didn't even know they were in the room in the first place. Yeah. Oh my gosh. What, what, um, drew you to want to become a nurse in the first place? So at the time, um, in Western Australia, I don't think there was a direct entry midwifery program. So to be a midwife, you had to, you talking? Yeah. You had to become a nurse first, and then you did a postgraduate study for two years to become a midwife. I think initially it was 12 months, and then they changed it to, to two years. Um, so I thought nursing's great. I get to travel with it. I can work in a variety of different settings. I don't have to stay on in the hospital. I can work in the community. I can work for the government, so get great government benefits. Back home, not so much here. Um, and it was just, it was an easy degree for me to see. I was like, okay, I finished school. I go to nursing school. I'll be finished by the time I'm 21. I go into a hospital. And it was like an easy path for me to see. Um, and then when I was ready, I would do midwifery, but I wasn't sure if I wanted to be a midwife until I was a mother myself. Interesting. I think I didn't realize that until I had finished nursing school and I was 21 and all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, I've got people's lives in my hands. Mm -hmm. This is terrifying. I need some life experience of my own. Mm -hmm. So rather than going back to school straight away, I chose to go traveling for a year and just went around the world and did things I probably should never do again <laughs> as you do as you do when you yeah when you're young and it was fun it was great and then I went back to nursing and decided to go into uh, post-grad studies um kind of working towards midwifery but without actually having to do it because I still hadn't had a family mm. so I did community child and adolescent nursing and then did sexual reproductive certificate um, to kind of work with people that were needing contraception or abortion um, counseling and pap smears std checks that kind of thing so basically kind of what Planned Parenthood yeah. does here Amazing. That is very loud. <laughs> that is very loud. It's interesting. I've had another um, mom who've interviewed, and she did her doula training um, in Mexico, and but she stopped the stopped the doula training because she felt like she needed to be needed to go through her own experience in order to further support women. Yeah, um, and that's such a that's such a um, interesting perspective, but but also makes so much sense. Right. I think now I'm I'm much better prepared. I think because I've seen, from my own experience, I've seen both a hospital birth yeah. and I've seen a home birth. So 
I've, I've experienced different worlds I've, and I've worked. I've had more life experience as well to bring to the table. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that I made the choice to wait, mm. although it can have been frustrating at times working in areas that I wasn't 100% like had my heart in, but mm. I'm definitely glad that I waited. Amazing. And do you feel that, you know, seeing birth as a young child and the way your mom talked about birth, do you think that helped kind of well, lead you into wanting to be a midwife or at least like normalize any fear around childbirth for you? I think it definitely normalized fear. I mean, the only time you really see childbirth is on TV, which has never really portrayed the way childbirth actually is. Um, So most of my friends who don't work in healthcare have never seen a birth or seen photos of a birth or talked about birth. Um... And also, I think it's generational as well. I think now with social media, there's a lot more discussion about it Mm -hmm. and it's easier to look things up if you want to look things up. But definitely, like, my mum seeing that birth kind of made me go, oh, this is what women are meant to do. Like, this is how strong women can be. It's not anything to be fearful of. Um, Yes, it's painful. I mean, I could tell that she was in pain, but it was never really, I'm scared for you. It's Mm. more like, you got this Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, and she always gave me that kind of wisdom too. When I was pregnant, she was like, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. You've got it. That's amazing. Do you feel that, you know, again, because in the women I've interviewed, like the ones who've had, who've been passed down that confidence from their mothers, um, it totally changed their own perspective about birth and their perspective about their body. Do you feel that, like, the kind of fear around childbirth is cultural is it is it down to the personal level of of family history or I mean now that yeah you I mean your home is in Australia and do you feel like your friends was there a fear around childbirth that you um, felt with your friends or for my friends that have delivered probably 80 percent of them have done it at home interesting which is quite rare I think yeah. um I don't know if it's just because we grew up in a town that has very strong women in it. Mm. Um, what town was that again? It was in Fremantle. So it's, it's quite, it, it was a very hippie town uh-huh. for a long time. There was like a couple of communes there. The um, Sanyasin, you know, the orange people yeah. okay. were also quite prevalent there. There was a lot of sex at some point, I'm sure. You know, there's a lot of babies that were born not to their real dads kind of thing, you know. I think growing up in that kind of setting, definitely the girls that I knew were very strong-willed mm. girls. They they knew where their place was. They, they weren't fearful. Mm. Um. I also have other friends that have delivered in hospital and, or have had C-sections or have gone down the private OB route and had their babies in private hospitals. Mm-hmm. And when I talk to them, I don't know about them going into it, but coming out of it, it's very, very different. Like they're, What they say about their experience is more clinical, like, yeah, it was an emergency C-section and I had to do this and... They don't really talk about it in the same way that the mums I know that have had home births talk about it. Um, But I don't know. I think it's cultural. I think it's definitely cultural and what you've seen growing up and what you see your mum doing, for sure. I think moving to the US 
being pregnant here was a very different experience to being pregnant back home. Um, I stopped telling people at my work that I was having a home birth because they all looked at me like I was crazy. Wow. <laughs> so, they're like, what do you mean? Like in a, in a tub? Like with who? A doula? I'm like... Uh, no, with a midwife who knows how to deliver a baby and is certified, you know. Oh, what? I've never really heard of that. You can do that? Yeah, you can have a baby wherever you want. <laughs> you know, babies come. Right. Um, interesting. Yeah, and I think that the fear around birth, it was very like, but how are you going to do that? You won't be able to have medication. You, mm-hmm. you know, how are you going to have a baby without having an epidural? I'm like, the same way you have a baby with an epidural, mm-hmm. you just push. <laughs> It is interesting, and it maybe comes down to more about the fear of the pain and fear of managing and coping. And, right. Um, and so your friends who have babies in the hospital, they, even the ones, even if they had midwives in hospital, they would still talk about it from a clinical perspective. Yeah. What's the, um, what's the healthcare system like in Australia? Is it? It's, so I guess people call it socialized medicine here. Okay. Um, so we have Medicare. You just pay... I'm pretty sure this is how it works, but you you pay a percentage of your income towards Medicare every year, Uh and then you get free public health service. You can get um, a discount, like you get a tax break if you get private health insurance. Um, I think the the way the the private health works is you still have pre-existing conditions on it, and like you have to join before you're 30 to get it for cheaper. It's not the same as private health insurance here. Um, so my entire birth pregnancy was free back home. Niku stay, everything was free. So I was kind of freaked out when I got pregnant. He was like, I don't know how to afford it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> which is, which is a big, I think, uh, you know, concern for a lot of women wanting something besides the hospital is like, totally. how do you make that? How do you come up with? you know, thousands of dollars mm-hmm. in eight months. I spoke to a woman when I was living in Seattle. I spoke to a woman that I had nursed with, and she said, I had to declare bankruptcy when I was 18 because I had a, a baby, and I was a single mom. I couldn't work, and my baby ended up in the NICU, and I had complications, and I was in a maternal unit for a long time too. She's like, I couldn't afford anything. I was living out of home at the time. And that, that terrified me. I was like, how is something that is so natural, you know, the cause of so much grief and hardship? It's, mm-hmm. it's not fair. No. It's not fair at all. And, I mean, I think that was before she was a lot older. Excuse me. I'm trying to talk. I'm trying to talk. Was it ever a consideration to just have your baby in the hospital with your with your second week came to the U.S. for financial reasons or? Um, I definitely saw my OB for financial reasons because I got my tests done for free through yes. my insurance. I have good insurance, but it's very restricted to the hospital that I work at. Um, so I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to keep seeing you because I need the opportunity to have a backup mm-hmm. if things don't go the way I want them to go. And I want you to have... I was basically trying to replicate what I had back in Australia, but they didn't understand it. I bet. So she was like, you know, we don't recommend you have a home birth and you shouldn't be doing that. You're putting your baby and yourself at risk. And 
I was like, you know what I'm doing? I'm giving you all of my information so that if I have to come in here at any point, I can transfer my care easily. You have all my information. I know you and we can birth together with no problems. Right. But it was just not really computing. Yeah. Um, I think also they considered me high risk, whereas back home when I'd had my baby early and... You know, they, couldn't, they didn't really know why. She said to me afterwards, the OB said, you're not high risk. Like, you don't risk out of being on a home birth program again, so don't worry about that. Mm. And that, in my head, I was like, oh, I'm fine. Like, I'm not a high-risk mum. But here it was like, oh, you had an IUGR baby? You're high risk. Mm. You shouldn't be birthing at home. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, I can't birth at home before 37 weeks anyway, so right. thanks. <laughs> so, yeah, tell me about your first birthing experience and, and how many weeks were you in and... So I got pregnant and we were moving house because we had black mold in there. It was highly stressful. I moved into a house with a couple of other people that were around the same age and a little younger who didn't have careers the same way I did. Mm -hmm. Um, I found I was pregnant the day we moved. Wow. Um, I didn't tell my husband for a couple of days because I just wanted to kind of sit with it for a minute. Um, And then I wanted to confirm it, so I went to see my regular GP, so general practitioner, who is the one that you generally see initially back home, I I think. This is my experience. Uh Um, So I got blood tests to confirm. I got the original, like the the beginning um, panel of bloods through her as well, like just a CBC and did a urine test. A CBC, also known as a complete blood count, is a test used to evaluate your overall health. This is done by measuring the cells that make up your blood, including red blood cells, white blood cells, and platelets. This can detect disorders such as infection or anemia. Um, She was the one that organized the ultrasound. (laughs) Then we had already planned for my husband, Rio, to move back to the U.S. while I was waiting for my green card to come through. So I said to him, I was like, you know, I'm pregnant, um, but I don't think that that should change anything. I think you should still go home. So... And would that mean him not being around for the birth or him coming back? He was going to come back. Right. Um, So at that time, he was on a work and holiday visa, and that was only for 12 months. So it ran out in January. My due date was April 11th. And I I knew, I remember when they told me my due date, I was like, I'm not having a baby in April. Hmm. I'm having a baby in February. Wow. And I, I don't know, I just had this lingering... Thought I was like, my baby is coming early. He's coming in, like, it, the baby will be coming in February. Like, very early. You felt Yeah, that. and I was like, that is way too early. Yeah. But in my head, I'm like, he's going to be a Pisces. Huh. I mean, I didn't know the sex, yeah. but I was like, he's going to be a Pisces baby. He's not going to be born in April, probably February. Wow. So, anyway, Rio decided with, like, and I supported it. We're like, you should go home. This, being pregnant doesn't mean I need you around. Like, I've, I've got this. I'll be yeah. fine. Um... So he went back home when I was seven weeks. Seven weeks is when I started feeling sick. Mm. <laughs> like living off green apples and chocolate-covered espresso beans. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I just felt miserable. I was sleeping. When I wasn't at work and I was working in the ER then as well, I was like, if I wasn't at work, I was asleep. And my housemates were huge partiers. Like I, 
had to tell them several times, like, I, I just need to sleep. Yeah. Guys, like, you have to go out. Yes. You can't have the music on. And I was doing shift work, you know. I was having to get up at 6 to be at work for 7 or I had night shift as well because we do rotating shifts back home. So I had mornings, afternoons and night shifts that I had to get through. I was miserable. Wow. I was so miserable. But my house was only a couple of blocks from my parents' house and my mum used to cook for me because I couldn't. I couldn't look at stainless steel. Like, it just made me feel so disgusting. Interesting. It it was awful. Wow. Which, as a nurse, is kind of a big deal because, you know, you're washing your hands 24-7 on stainless steel sinks. You know, all your equipment is made of steel. I was just, like, so averted to it. I can't be around it, the smell of it. Couldn't cook because all of your cooking stuff is stainless steel. Wow. So between one of my best friends and... My parents, they kind of made sure that I still at least had one meal a day. Mm-hmm. I lost weight. Um, I joined the community midwifery program at 16 weeks. I had, you have like a first two hour intake with them in your home. Mm. Um, went through my medical history. They're like, yep, you're a prime candidate. Um, we'll see you. I can't remember how often it is, maybe monthly. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, obviously if there's any complications you'll see us more or and you'll get back up at 31 weeks as well where is he where is he um, so I think I was a little late getting my um, not my my 12 week scan I had and that was all fine the genetic testing was all fine mm-hmm. the 20 week scan um, the anatomy scan I delayed because I was going over to Canada because I used to live there and I wanted to see my friends and it was kind of like my last holiday by myself mm-hmm. <laughs> without a child um, and Rio at this point was living in Seattle um, and then he was going to join me back in Australia after I got back from Canada and at that point I was like I'm moving out of this house I can't be in the share house anymore mm-hmm. it's driving me crazy um, I finally told them that I was pregnant and they were like, oh, we thought you were acting a bit weird. <laughs> so my friend kept like, you have got to come to this music festival with me. Like, we've got to buy tickets. We've got to plan it. And I was like, dude, I can't. I really don't want to. Like, no. And then eventually I was like, I'm pregnant. I can't. I don't want to come. I'm sorry. <laughs> she was like, oh, my God. I was like, and I'm also moving out because this is awful. Um, so I moved back in with my parents and... I was quite happy there. They were building a back house, like a tiny little unit at the back that we were planning on living in with the baby. Um, obviously, it was not ready for us by the time the baby was born. Mm-hmm. Um, but Rhea was coming back after I got back from Canada. So I was like, you know what? I'll just kind of delay the anatomy scan so that you can be there for one of the scans. Mm. And during that time, I hadn't really put on any weight. I was measuring on the smaller side on my frontal height. I think I was always kind of two centimeters below. So like, you know, it's still within range, but small. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was so sick. They're like, you know, you're probably not putting on weight because you're not really eating as much. Mm-hmm. Um, try and eat nutritional stuff when you do eat. And I tried. Um, Were you still feeling nauseous at this point or was it just hard to put on I weight? I stopped feeling nauseated, I think, oh, 17 weeks it went on for a long time. Yeah. I remember my mum telling me, like, oh, I stopped feeling nauseated at 14 weeks. I just, I woke up one day and it was gone. I got to 14 weeks and I was like, mum, why do I still feel oh. so sick? Um, and I was also working on my feet all the time. It's it's a high-stress job, you know, and doing CPR on people when I probably shouldn't have been doing CPR on people. But I actually fell asleep one day at work. Wow. <laughs> 
I think a lot of people knew, most people didn't know I was pregnant because I was really small, but management knew. And I had an amazing manager. Her wife had also been super sick with all three of her pregnancies and she knew how bad it could be. Um, So she was putting me as much as possible in the quieter areas. And I was in fast track, kind of like um, urgent care type patients. And I fell asleep for a good hour and a half until the next shift came on. Wow. (laughs) That's how. The junior doctors that were working with me thought, I was like, why didn't you wake me up? And they're like, well, we thought you were just on your break. And I was like, what, at the desk? And they're like, yeah, I mean, we were fine. We didn't need you for anything. I was like, oh, my God. I was like, next time, just wake me up. And they're like, okay, okay. Um, So it was was a hard, tough pregnancy in some ways. I also suffered a lot from palpitations. Mm. So the midwifery group just sent me to a cardiologist to get cleared, make sure I was safe for home birth which they said I was. Um, so I did have to wear a halter monitor for a while, which wow. was not fun. Yeah. Um, and I went and actually got acupuncture for it, and it really helped. Interesting. Um, I also got really bad locked ear for my entire pregnancy, and acupuncture was the only thing that helped it. Which is amazing. That, I know. <laughs> that modality of therapy is so great. I know. I was so – and the guy that I saw, he got into acupuncture because his wife was so sick during her pregnancies. Did you try acupuncture for the nausea or no? Um, I didn't. I don't know why I didn't. Yeah. I probably just didn't think about it. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, anyway, so when Rio got back, I was still on the small side. We were like, you know what? Let's go on a baby moon. We got the anatomy scan. Everything was all good. Didn't want to find out the gender. It didn't really seem necessary for me. Um, so we were planning to go to Bali and we had a wonderful holiday in Bali and I almost didn't get like back on the plane because they were like oh you're almost at your cutoff for not being able to fly internationally on the way home and I was like well I'm not giving birth in Bali so you're gonna have to yes. let me on the plane <laughs> um when I came back that was when I had my backup appointment and um I think I had missed one midwifery appointment too because the midwife that I was assigned had a family emergency and had mm-hmm. to stop so then I was kind of juggled between a few different people just while they sorted everything out. And during that time, I'm pretty sure I missed an appointment. Mm. Um, so when I went into the clinic, the OB was like, you're small. Um, you're beyond the two centimeter fundal height, small, you're small, small. Um, so she did a, a bedside ultrasound right there. And then she said, you're really small. I'm going to send you for a proper ultrasound now. So you have to go into the hospital and, and get it done now. Wow. So I did. Um, and did you have a sense that that doctor was right or did you feel like skeptical? Did you feel? I knew she was right. Yeah. I knew I was small and I knew it wasn't just because I wasn't putting on weight. I was, I had a small baby. Um, and I kind of just accepted it. I was like, yeah, whatever. So she said, you're risked out of the home birth program. I was like, I kind of figured I would. Yeah. And you're how many weeks at this point? I was 31. Okay. Um, was I 31? No, I was probably a little bit later than that. I was probably almost 32. Okay. Um, kind of gets a bit blurry. I can't really remember exactly. Yeah. So I went in for the scan, which is quite a lengthy scan. Um, the placenta was fine. The cord pressures were elevated. And the baby was measuring IUGI. So just tell me, uh, just talk about that a little bit more, like cord pressures elevated. Like what, what, how did they explain that to you? What does that mean? They didn't really explain okay. it to me. <laughs> They said, you know, we don't really know why. Um, the blood flow is there, but the 
the pressures are elevated and this could be why the baby is small, but we don't really know. Cord pressure is referring to the amount of effort it takes for the placenta to distribute nutrient-rich blood through the umbilical cord to the baby. If the pressure is elevated, there can be resistance in the veins and thus decreased blood flow to the baby. This can lead to intrauterine growth restriction of the baby, or what's known as IUGR. And they didn't say anything. They said the placenta is where it should be. There's no... There's no... Um, Calcification yeah. or... Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was nothing else going on. Mm-hmm. They said the only thing that was abnormal was the baby was small and the cord pressures were elevated. Mm-hmm. So they wanted me back in two weeks because they do the scans every two weeks for growth. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, okay. She said, in the meantime, I want you to stop working as much. Mm-hmm. So I talked to my manager and she was very understanding. She said, okay, as of next week, we'll put you on six-hour shifts instead of 12s, um, and you can just work part-time. So, okay. Also, I have maternity leave, which is separate from medical leave mm. back home. So I had sick time, um, paid time off time, mental health days, and maternity leave. Wow. So I was like, all right, that's great. I'll go part-time, awesome, I'll take it easy. So I think two days after I had that scan, I think it was about two days, I was in the ER, I had a 12-hour shift, it was my last one. Right before the end of the shift, I had um, a guy in his mid-40s code and I ended up being the only person in the room to start CPR on him, leaning over my big belly while the doctor's trying to get an airway, I'm yelling at him, like, press the bell, like, shout out for help, please get someone else in here. I can't be doing this. And he's like, you need to help me with the airways. I need to do CPR. Like, get someone else in here. So I did at least two or three minutes of it before someone came in to take over. I don't know if that had anything to do with what happened next, but it was kind of one of those things where I'm like, I probably wasn't taking it easy. <laughs> and I went in the next morning... I was working in the pediatric area and I had a bleed. I felt something in my, between my legs. I was like, did I just pee myself? What is that? Mm. Doesn't feel like pee. Excused myself from handover and was like, I gotta go to the bathroom and be right back. And there was blood everywhere. So I spoke to the charge nurse and she's like, Yeah, you're gonna get triaged. I was like, no, I'll just I'll just go home and get, you know, drive to the to the maternity hospital. She was like, no, you're going to get triaged and you're going to see a doctor. I was like, okay, fine. So I saw one at of... At your work. At my work. One. Yeah. So I then had to go into the room that I was about to take over. Oh, my God. Um, see one of the doctors that I worked with. They uh, put me on fluids straight away and drew my blood and then organised for me to be transferred to the maternity hospital because our hospital didn't have an L&D unit. I was like, no, I can get picked up and they can just drive me. They're like, no, Lance, you need an ambulance. <laughs> did they check your cervix? Did they do an ultrasound? She did a bedside ultrasound. The heart rate was, the heartbeat was still there um, yeah. and there was fetal movement. Um, but she said, you need to go to mm-hmm. King Eddie's because that's where you're going to get the best care. Um, so she put in an IV. Well, the nurses put in an IV and put me on fluids for the transfer. And when I got to... Um, the maternity hospital, they did a, um, they did an ultrasound and put me on the fetal monitoring and then they checked my cervix. And I think by that time I only had a slow trickle of 
bleeding. bleeding. Yeah. Um, I don't think there was any other fluid. I think it was just <coughs> blood. And it was like, it probably only lasted about an hour, maybe a bit, maybe a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but they said you're going to be on bed rest. We're monitoring you twice a day. You need to have serial ultrasounds. Wow. So you're not going home. What a <laughs> like sh- contrast to just going to a normal work day, finishing your last twelve hour shift, and being in the hospital and on bed rest now. And your cervix was was it dilated at some or no? um, it's like one one yeah. centimeter. Yeah. Um, and so it had stopped bleeding when they when they looked, and it, I didn't bleed again. That's good. It was the middle of summer, so it was kind of like it must have been around the twentieth of February. Yeah. And my birthday is the twenty fifth. And I was like, hey, guys, you know you're going to let me out my birthday, right? They're like, no, you're on bed rest until you deliver your baby. You may even have to have a C-section, you know, so put that in your head. And I'm like, no, I'm not having a C-section because I'm not getting a spinal. (laughs) Right. So um, I convinced them to let me out. They let me out on my birthday. So I went home. Wow. Um, My birthday was on the Monday, I think. And I was due for my second scan, my growth scan. So it had been two weeks since the first one. On the Thursday, I went in and they were like, your baby hasn't grown. So you can either stay, we don't have a bed for you right now, or you can go home and have a shower and pack some stuff and come back. But you're having your baby tonight. Wow. And I was like, what? (laughs) Okay, Um, I'm gonna go home and have a shower, I guess. Yeah. So I went and picked up my mum, oh, my husband was with me, um, went and picked up my mum and we came back to the hospital a couple of hours later and they gave me a cervical balloon induction. A cervical balloon induction, or what's also known as a Foley bulb, is a method to induce labour. It involves inserting a catheter into the cervix and filling the balloon end of the catheter with sterile water. The pressure of the small water balloon on the cervix can help with dilation. Another induction method is using prostaglandins. This is a hormonal medication that is used as a vaginal suppository to cause contractions and help ripen the cervix. And when she was going to put it in, she was like, you're already two and a half centimeters. I don't know if we really need to be doing this. But they thought because of his size, the prostaglandin was mm. going to be too high risk. So I had the cervical balloon. She was like, normally, it's like about 12 hours. And I pushed out within four. <laughs> I was like, this is really uncomfortable to sleep with. I don't want this between my legs. I'm going to the bathroom and I sat on the toilet and pushed it out. Wow. Um, Then I called the midwife and she was like, because I was hooked up to monitoring equipment, um, called the midwife and she was like, all right, well, do you want a sleeping tablet? Because you've got a pretty big morning tomorrow. I was like, all right. So I took a sleeping tablet, went to sleep. 6 a.m. she came back in. She's like, just checking everything's all good. I'm like, yep, everything's fine. And had you started contracting on Mm -hmm. your own? Yeah. Yeah, I was contracting. It just felt kind of like period pain in my back at that point. And then it started to become more regular. And she's like, all right, well, I'm going to do a cervical check at 6. Might break your waters. I think that's what she was going to do. She had the glove with the hook on the finger. Mm -hmm. I said, all right. I said, don't do it until I called my mom and my husband to come in because the traffic could be bad and they might take a while. And I think this is going to be quick. Mm-hmm. And she was like, all right. So I called them up. They were on their way. She did a cervical check. I don't think she broke my waters because they didn't break until later. Um, and I started laboring pretty intensely. Um, How far along were you with that? How many centimeters down? I don't know. I didn't yeah. ask. Yeah. I didn't care. Yeah. I knew that I was in labor. 
Um, so the night shift mid- uh, midwife went home. I had a new midwife who was uh, agency. So they have um, people that come in to do fillow shifts mm. when people call in sick. She was amazing. She was the best person ever to be in the birth room with me. Wow. She just let me do my thing. The whole way through my pregnancy, we'd been reading like spiritual midwifery stories and I was like in my head I'm like I'm gonna have my hair out I'm gonna look like a 70s goddess <laughs> it's gonna be great and honestly it's what it felt like I felt like I was on acid it was so crazy I was laughing I was just having the best time um then my waters broke and it started to get pretty intense and I think I needed Rio quite a lot my mum was there she just kind of sat in the, in the corner and I got Rio to like push on my back quite a lot and I started getting, you're tired, I started to get really uncomfortable um, and then I felt super nauseated, I was like I feel so sick, please give me something for this, I made myself vomit and I was like I'm so sorry I have to do this, like vomiting, <laughs> um, but she was, the midwife was fine, I had to get um, IV antibiotics but I wasn't hooked up to them. She just gave it to me as a push. So I was free to move around. She just fixed the monitoring whenever it needed to be fixed. I didn't know this until later, but the resident OB had come in three times to try and give me Pitocin to hurry it up. And she was like, she doesn't need it. No, but yeah, on, on her monitoring, she doesn't look like she's having very strong contractions. And she's like, yeah, because the monitor keeps falling off her. Like she's moving around. She's fine. She doesn't need it. And then I think at one point she said, you can ask her. And I was like, don't talk to me yeah and I'm really glad that they didn't give me any because I started really going into labor probably like at round six and he was born by 9 uh, or 945 so if they'd given me Pitocin oh it would have been a shit show yeah <clears throat> um the birth was fine like I remember <laughs> I was lying down on my side and I was passing out in between contractions. I was so tired. Mm. Just, and the pain was just so intense. And I was like, if I just go to my safe place, I'll just shut my eyes mm. and pretend that I'm not here anymore. And then the midwife was like, you know, you're kind of like, you're due for your, your third antibiotic. Like, I'll, I'll be back in a second. I was like, okay. As soon as she walked out the room, I sat bolt upright. And I was like, I need to push now. And my mom was like, no, you don't. <laughs> She's like, just wait. She's coming right back. I was like, no, I'm, I'm going to push. I need to push now. And I like lay on my side and I got my leg up and I was like, I'm doing this. And she had gone out the room to call the pediatrician and OB because she could tell. Like mm. I had been, the, the sentence before I think was, I can't do this anymore. Help me. Mm-hmm. She's like, yep, I'll be right back. So the, the pediatric team were there. Um, the OB was there. Um, I delivered him in three pushes. Wow. He was teeny tiny. I remember them saying, you can feel his head if you want. He's crowning. I was like, no, I can just push it out. Yeah, I know what it feels like. Yeah. <laughs> she was like, okay, well, you know, push through that burning ring of fire. I was like, that is not burning. Like, not compared to the back pain I have. Like, just, I'm going to push wow. it out. I think they, they were like, you know, pants, slow it down. I was like, nope. Um, so three pushes, he was out. They gave him straight to me. He screamed straight away. He was so tiny. I didn't even know how to hold him. Oh, my gosh. Um, so they had him on my chest. They did delayed cord clamping. Um, I think they even stripped the cord. And they let my husband cut the cord. Yeah. Um, they took him off me and oxygenated him and gave him back to me. 
and then took him over to the um, the incubator on the side and then had to work on him because his breathing started to decline. Mm-hmm. So as they were doing that, um, he was three pounds oh my something, <laughs> like 1.7 kilos. Wow. He was teeny tiny. Little baby. So my husband went with him down to the NICU and I stayed. My placenta was very stubborn, didn't want to come out. Mm. I had to get a Foley catheter. Wow. To de- you know, to decompress my bladder. I had three different midwives try. I had an OB try. I had a resident try, and eventually, a midwife got it out. She was like, "It had passed." It was about an hour and a half by this point, and I was prepped for the OR to go and get it manually taken out. Yeah. I, was like, I don't want to do the OR after having a natural right. birth. Like, no thanks. <coughs> I had like the little hat on and everything ready to go. The anaesthetist already talked to me and she, and the midwife was like, give me one last time. Just give me one last time. And I was on Pitocin for that too, uh-huh. which was intense. So I can only imagine how intense it would have been during birth. Um, and she got it out and it was intact. I think there was like a quarter size piece missing. Um, and probably later that day, I think I passed it. Mm-hmm. I remember passing a big clot. So after I showered, it probably been three hours since I'd seen him, so I went down to the Nico and saw him. It was all hooked up to the CPAP machine and looked like a little skin rabbit. Oh, my <laughs> With a little gosh. pink face because, you know, it pushes their nose up. And yeah. He was so tiny. The staff were awesome. My milk came in. I, like, a couple of days later, I was expressing. I had so much milk that I ended up having to give it away to the NICU. Wow. That's amazing. It was insane. And was he taking it well, too? He was um, fed via the tube. Mm-hmm. Um, With- yeah, so initially, I think it was a, an oral tube and then a nasogastric tube. Mm-hmm. Did he have a nasogastric Yeah, he did have a nasogastric tube. So he was in a level three NICU for, like, just under 24 hours, and then he went to... Um, the level two and then eventually got transferred to a hospital closer to us for level one care. So all in all, he was there for three weeks. So that was my first birth. Unreal. (laughs) And it was not what I expected at all. No one that I knew had had a birth like that. I didn't really know how to handle it. I just kind of put my let's just get it done hat on and did it. So it was up every, like pumped all through the night, was up at 6am to get in there for first feed so I could put him on my boob while he got his tube feed and could get that association going. Later on, my husband told me, he was like, I was really scared that he was going to die. And I remember thinking that I was never scared he was going to die. And I think that also came from the fact that I knew what all the alarms meant. I knew when to look at people's faces to see if they were worried. Mm -hmm. You know, I had more understanding of that whole setting, so... It wasn't, it, I wasn't fearful. Yeah. Um, he did need to go on a, a caffeine drip for a while because he kept having um, bradycardic episodes mm. and DSATs. But other than that, he was fine. Like, and I had had the steroid injection when they knew that he was small yeah. to try and build up his surfactant. So. Yeah. At any point, did, did Rio express his concern when you were like in labor before? Like he was going like, to kind of try to keep it together. He didn't tell then. me that until months later. Wow. Yeah. Months and he's he's had a baby before. Um, he has a what is she ten now? And she was born in the U.S. Um, she was a gestational diabetes baby, okay. but born with midwives in Seattle. Interesting. Um, in the hospital, I'm pretty sure it was on like a low income mm-hmm. Medicaid type insurance too. 
So he's, he'd already experienced birth, but this was completely different yeah. to what he had seen. But he never once showed me that he was stressed or concerned. He just let me do my thing. Um, so, yeah, it was having that first experience. I was like, is this going to happen again? Of course. That's <laughs> what you would think. <laughs> and I, the OB was very adamant. She's like, just because you've had one baby like this does not mean you're going to have another baby like this. So don't go into your next pregnancy fearful. So that's what I carried with me. I was like, I don't need to be fearful. It's going to be fine. That's amazing. Yeah. And so when you got pregnant here in the U.S. and, and you knew straight away okay. that you wanted to do a home birth, and um, did you have now a new set of fears going into the home birth? Or had you just, you really believed, like, what the OB told you, like, this is a different pregnancy? Different the only baby? fear I had was, like, oh, if I don't make it to 37 weeks, I'm going to have to have a hospital birth. Got it. And I was fearful oh. of having a hospital birth in the U.S. Yeah. Which I wasn't fearful about back home because I understood the system. I don't understand the system here. And I know, I know too much almost. Like, yeah. I know what your rates of C-sections are. I, I know that OBs like to induce at, you know, 39 weeks. Mm-hmm. I know they don't like to let you go post-dates either. Um, I, I just felt like I was going to be pressured into doing things that I didn't want to do mm. if I had to have a baby in the hospital. Mm-hmm. So I was, like, adamant that this baby had to grow to 37 weeks so that I could have a home birth. <laughs> And did you do anything different in your pregnancy in order to make that happen? Or did you just feel like it was just naturally a very different pregnancy? It was a different pregnancy. I was, I think, probably a bit less stressed. I had a pretty routine work environment going on. Um, I ate properly. I wasn't as sick, so I could eat properly. I I was getting Braxton Hicks from very early on. Um, I did start making colostrum very early as well, which happened with my my first. I was like, ooh, is this a sign that maybe? But the OB that I saw sent me to a, um, what are they called? Perinatologist. Mm -hmm. And they did serial ultrasounds on me, which I agreed to because, you know, I'll just make him happy. Yeah. <laughs> In case. Yeah. I knew the baby was fine. I knew instinctively that the baby was fine. Um, so the perinatologist was fine. Like every time we went in, his the baby was measuring like on the 80th percentile. Great. And they're like, we're not really that concerned, but we'll just keep you in just in case. Mm-hmm. And the last ultrasound I got, I probably didn't need to have. And he even said, like, you probably didn't need this. And we definitely don't need to see you again. Yeah. But, you know. Hope everything's fine. Predict you'll have a great birth. I was like, okay, thanks. It was good for peace of mind. Um, but it was also kind of like, I don't really want to be getting that many ultrasounds too. And every time I went in, I was like, please don't tell me the sex because I didn't mm-hmm. find out, which everyone thought I was crazy for as well. <laughs> what do you mean you don't want to know? How are you going to plan your nursery? I was like, I don't even have a room for right. them, so. My bedroom <laughs> yes. is what we're planning. Yes really much to plan they just sleep in bed with me so I I think that was it was good in a way because I could put that fear out um and I was getting such amazing care with Christian that I was I was putting up with the 15 minute appointments yeah. at the OB just because um and so was that a decision that she made um 
with you as like let's do some kind of co-care so I I had kind of made it when I first spoke with her I kind of made it clear that because of my history and because I was a little bit concerned that there might be a chance that I have a um preterm baby that I wanted to have tandem care um she was totally supportive of that Mm -hmm. and understood um where I was coming from and I think also really sort of made me question myself and how I dealt with the whole situation because I don't think I'd ever really talked about it or dealt with it and she was like it's totally understandable that you'd be fearful of that and I was like oh yeah it is understandable isn't it she's like because that can be considered birth trauma you know and that's something you need to work through and I was like oh yeah, I guess it is, you know, it hadn't even really crossed my mind. Um, So, yeah, she was totally supportive of it. It also meant that my insurance covered my blood tests, my ultrasounds, you know, and I just got my OB to send her the results. That's great. Which she was a bit confused about, but she's like, yeah, sure, if you want her to have the results, but you're having the baby in hospital, right? And I'm like, yeah, we've already talked about this. Every time I come in, I'm not, but thank you anyway. Um, at one point she even said to me like, you know, is the reason you're not having the baby hospital because of traffic? And I'm like, well, I don't, definitely don't want to be in transition stuck on a freeway for sure. She's like, well, I can offer you an induction at 39 weeks. I was like, I don't think you're really getting yes, what I'm saying. No. Was this someone that you chose for your insurance or was it someone who worked as a backup for Christian? It was someone I chose for my insurance. And I, I had no idea how to even begin looking for providers when I first got pregnant. And I looked at my insurance and they didn't cover midwives. So I was like, okay, um, what do I do now? So I asked around other moms like, hey, um, has anyone used a midwife? How does it work? I didn't even know there were different types of midwives in the U.S. Like, I knew nothing about the system here. Um, the OB that I chose was kind of, this is the practice. Pick the one that looks the friendliest from their picture, you know, or from their credentials. When did they graduate? I, I don't know. I had no idea. Yeah. When Which I is com- actually quite the norm for a lot of women, even in the U.S. Right. There's a lot of just misinformation or no information right. at all. There was no information. And I kind of called up the office and I think I must have only been like seven or eight weeks and like what well, well we can't fit you in with her until February and you know you should have called us early and I was like what did you want me to call you the day I got my pregnancy <laughs> test like I don't really what do I need to see her for um so my first appointment I didn't have a midwife lined up I was due to see a couple of different people around here birth centers for me were like yes. kind of mm-hmm. pointless I was like there's no point if I'm going to do a birth center I might as well just do it at home um and I remember going in for my first appointment. I had no idea that I was going to get a transvaginal ultrasound. All of a sudden, I was back there getting a wand, like, up my vagina. I was like, what is going on? <laughs> like, and this is your baby's heartbeat. I was like, that's not a baby. That's a sack of cells. But thanks. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, I'm not, you know, I'm not even 12 weeks yet. This baby might not be viable. I, I'm not that invested right now. Like, but that's just me. I know a lot of people would be. Um, I think I, that's my practical side coming out. And so I don't know if the technician thought I was a cold, heartless bitch, but I was like, oh, okay, great, thanks. One form consent would have been nice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and then, you know, you have to sit there with no underwear on and you're waiting in this room for the person that you've never met and then you meet them and you've got no underwear on and it's just weird. You're like, oh. Then got a, a pap smear, which I also didn't know I was going to get. And it was just 
A lot. Um, so I was like, okay, I need to find a midwife. So I um, interviewed, interviewed, I mean, I met with a couple of different people. Um, I really loved Sarah and she's so convenient because she was just down the road from me, but I hadn't met Christian yet. And I ended up speaking with Christian on the phone and we spoke for like an hour and I was like, you know what, this is just clicking. And then she told me that Sarah was her backup and I was like, perfect. Yeah. (laughs) Two for one. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, I mean, I knew that I had to pay out of pocket for her and I'd kind of put you know, in my head, I was like, I'll put this money aside from taxes and I had savings. And I was like, this is what we'll use. And then I got a crazy tax bill and had to pay all this money that I didn't think I was going to. And I was like, oh my God. But, um, I did have a, a health fund through work, which I think was about two and a half thousand. So that was tax free money that I could, um, use for her. Mm-hmm. Um, Christian was awesome about just letting me pay installments as I had the money. So nice. <laughs> it wasn't stressful at all, but it was so worth it to me. My appointments with her, with her were like 45 minutes long to an hour long. It felt like hanging out with a friend, but we still discussed all the important stuff. Yeah. You know, it wasn't her poking me and swabbing me and, you know, she, it was just so different. Like the, the parallels, it was just so, so different. Yeah. And I would bring Ezra, my first little boy with me to all the appointments and my husband worked around the corner. And so he would come like halfway through and it was just a really nice family environment. I never took my son to any of the OB appointments. I got weighed in at every OB appointment. I never got weighed in. <laughs> it was more like, how is your nutrition? How are you eating? Versus, oh, you've put on this amount of weight in this amount of time and this is what we expect. And, and no other questions asked. Right, exactly. And I think I'm glad that I did it because it has given me an insight into the healthcare system and how OBs work. And it's like a business, you know, it really felt like a business. Um, and then coming towards the end of my pregnancy, I was starting to get really impatient. Like I made it to 37 weeks. I was like, excellent, great. We're all good for a home birth. And then I was like, and now I'm impatient. Right. Why is the baby not here? Yeah. You know, you went through, cause you had Ezra at 33 weeks. He was 34, 34 weeks, I think. Five, yeah. So three extra weeks of being right. pregnant is all new territory. Right. Totally. I was like, and I was bigger in general right. from the beginning. So I was like, oh gosh, and it was summertime again. So it was the middle of July. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm so hot. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm on my feet at work all day. So and I'm still working. So I was still working. I worked up until, I think I was 37 when I stopped. And my mum came over at 37 weeks. So I had a nice two weeks of being with my mum before he finally decided to come. Uh-huh. But I was, you know, talking to Christian like, okay, um, so I've been getting a lot of Braxton Hicks. And now they're kind of becoming a little bit more intense. Like I had to pull over a couple of times on my way home from work. And then I stopped working and they kind of subsided a little yeah. bit. Um, and then I was having a lot of back pain. So I went and got acupuncture, um, from a lady that also works as a doula and she does acupuncture during birth too. Um, and she was like, do you want, she's like, I'll do the the acupuncture. I had neck problems and a back. I just felt like it was sort of like Mm. off a little bit. She was like, we can do some rebozo if you want. And I was like, yeah, for sure. Let's try it out. So we did that. And she was like, you seem really kind of, like, you've got this weird energy to you. And I was like, 
yeah, like I'm ready to have a baby. <laughs> um, so I was like seeing Christian, I, I guess, weekly at this point, maybe almost twice weekly. And I started getting like bouts of contractions. She's like, do you want me to check you and see where we're at? I, I think I was around three centimeters, three, three and a half, and like about 50% effaced. Um, she's like, so it's definitely what's going on is leading up to something. Um, and then for one appointment, he had a D-cell during her check. Mm. She's like, I want you to go in and get a non-stress test. So I was like, all right, well, use my insurance and I'll go to see <laughs> and I will get a non-stress test. Um, I was there for a couple of hours. Everything was fine. The residents were awesome. Um, they knew I was having a home birth. They were totally fine with it. You know, they're like, yep, your midwife did the right thing, sending you in. He, he did ask, like, just making sure, like, she checked your heartbeat at the same time as the baby's. I was like, yeah, she's not stupid. <laughs> and my heart rate's not 90, so, yes, yeah, she did. Um, and I was there for a couple of hours. Everything was fine. They said, look, you have an OB appointment tomorrow. Just keep it because even though you were here today, we want to make sure that everything's still fine tomorrow as well. So I was like, I don't really want to go in at 8 a.m., you know, and see an OB that I had never met this OB before either because mm. my mom was on vacation. So I didn't really want to do that. But I decided I was like, I'll be a good patient and I will go. And I had the worst experience ever. She quoted these studies to me saying that I was putting my baby at risk of having seizures and, you know, the out-of-hospital birth outcomes are worse than in-hospital and you're not being safe and... We, I, you know, you can't come here if you're in labor because we don't accept transfers. And I was like, yo, if it's an emergency, I can go wherever I want. Like, yeah, and you will see law. me. Yeah. It's the law. <laughs> like, I was just so pissed off. And obviously the whole time I had no underwear on too. So I'm like sitting there, not able to get up and just leave because I'm so vulnerable. <laughs> Plus I've been through a scare. Like I was concerned that the baby was all of a sudden not going to be a candidate anymore. Um, so I left there distraught, cried in my car for 30 minutes before I composed myself. I was like, this is hormones and I'm angry. Um, called up Christian, had a really long discussion with her and she was angry for me. Mm. Got back and wrote a letter of complaint. Didn't send it because I was like, oh, let me just think about this. But it was really like... I read the study that you recommended that I read and there are all these faults with it. Even ACOG themselves said that, you know, the study itself kind of said that it doesn't really count for well women. She's like, you would have risked out for home birth anyway, in my opinion, because of your past experience and all this stuff. And Mm. I was like, you know, I read the study and that's not my interpretation of it at all. It didn't it didn't cover well women only who had had proper care. Mm. It covered accidental home births, like right. rural areas, women that had never seen anyone throughout their entire pregnancy. Like you can't put all those cohorts of people together. I was like, and I come from a place where home birth is accepted and they have done proper studies on women that have only like had designated midwife, midwife led care through their pregnancies and the outcomes are fine. Yeah. 
whatever it's her job you know she right. has to write it in her notes that she gave me the advice that ACO gave her so. she's no longer liable exactly. and that's what it's about exactly and meanwhile I'm left feeling like the worst person ever because I had planned this phone birth that now she's going to blame me for if something goes wrong so I'm like do not let anything go wrong with this birth because I do not want to end up in the hospital for her to be like I told you so yeah but then I thought, you know, if anything goes wrong, I'm not going to the hospital anyway. I'm going to the closest one. It's true. It's true. I'm like, Glendale's <laughs> right there. I'm not going any further. So then she also told me, you don't feel very labory to me when she fell my cervix, which I'm not really sure what she meant by that because you can't predict the future. She doesn't have an able. So right. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's great because I've been having contractions quite regularly now. Um, so I think that was on a Friday. The Saturday, I had four hours of contractions from about 7 p.m. of getting closer and closer and feeling more real. And I was like, oh, I think this is it. And I had been induced before, so I wasn't really sure how it began. I'm like, okay, I think this is it. And then they stopped. And I was like, okay, that was it. I'll just go to bed then. <laughs> um, and then on Sunday, the same thing happened again. And Rio worked at a bakery at that time, so he had to be up at three in the morning to get to work. And so he had gone to bed, and at seven, they really started to, to come up. I was like, this is it. So I sat down and turned on Netflix, watched an entire season of, I can't even remember now, something terrible. Yeah. That was just brain numbing and was like, I'm going to ride this out. I'm going to enjoy these contractions because I've not had to feel this before. This is really great. Um, didn't want to time them because I didn't feel like I was ready to like put that pressure on myself. Of like, yeah, this is definitely it because I'd had a couple of false starts. Um, well, not false starts. They were all doing something, but absolutely, kind of thinking I was doing it and then it wasn't mm -hmm. so I was like you know I'll just sit here I'll watch the end of the season I'll go to bed get some rest I wolfed down a lot of food before I went to bed because I knew I'd need some energy I think about 10 I went to sleep and then at midnight I woke up and I was having contractions regularly that woke me up and I was like yeah okay this is it so about half an hour later I woke up Rio I was like hey um I think maybe you shouldn't go to work <laughs> He's like, oh, like, for real? I'm like, yeah. Like, yeah. This is happening. Yeah, I'm in labor. He's like, okay, cool. Uh, let me just call someone. So he was like, do you want me to go? So my mom had got an Airbnb around the corner. So he's like, do you want me to go get your mom? And I was like, just let her sleep for like another hour or two and then go get her. And then they started to get closer and closer. I, th I think around 1.30 maybe. I think we called Christian. Yeah. Uh, discovered also that my phone didn't work in my room. <laughs> the oh reception's God. really bad. <laughs> so, like, I could call her, but then it just cut out and she couldn't oh hear me. No. Stressful. <laughs> so I had to, and Rio is on the same plan as me, so we had to come into the kitchen to be able to talk. Time. Oh, my God. So she's like, well, you know, you're still walking around. I, you know, I can talk to you. Give me a call in two hours. So I was like, okay. I was like, Rio, go get mom. Like, and then she can be here for Ezra because Ezra was fast asleep. Mm. So he went and got her. When he came back with mom, she's like, well, I'm not going to go back to sleep. I'll just stay up. So she kind of busied herself, made herself a cup of tea, like mm -hmm. got herself comfortable. And then the contractions started getting more intense and I felt like I needed pressure, like counter pressure on my back. Mm. 
And I was like, okay, uh, this is getting a bit much now. Like I want to just be in the bedroom. And I hadn't planned a water birth. I had no desire to get in the water with Ezra. And I didn't think that I would with this birth either. I didn't want to get in the shower. I just wanted to kind of be left alone. So I went into the room and then they started to get more intense, closer together. So we called Christian back, I guess, probably around four maybe. And she was like, okay, like I can still hear you talking. And she listened to a couple of contractions over the phone. And she was like, all right, well, just give me a call in another two hours. Let me know how you're going. I was like, okay. All right. Got to 4.30 and I was like, all right, I've been um, in labor since midnight as far, like, you know, active labor. And I'm like, why hasn't he born yet? Uh That's all you know. Because all I knew was, you know, I have fast labors. Like, why is the baby not born yet? And I started getting a bit frustrated. I was like, hmm, um, okay. And then it was getting more intense. And I'm like, all right. And then the nausea started. And I was like, okay, now we're getting to what I'm used to. So I think it was about 5.30 and I was like, call Christian back. I can't talk to her. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was like, Keywords. okay. So we were using my mum's phone at this point so we could take it into my bedroom and I was like, I, I'm not, I'm not talking. I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. I feel sick. I need to, I need to throw up. And, and she listened to a couple of contractions. She said, I'm on my way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, okay. So then by the time she got here, I think I'd made myself vomit again. Um, Did it feel better to do that? Or yeah. Was it, yeah. Yeah. It felt, I felt like relief. Mm-hmm. My waters hadn't broken. Um, it was getting really intense. And when she turned up, I think I'd been in the same position. I tried to go to the toilet. I was like, I need to do a poo mm-hmm. really badly. You need to go to the, to do a poo. And I, every time I tried to get up out of the bed, I was like, oh, I can't I need to go back into the bed. Oh. So I was like sitting on the bed. Rio was pushing on my back behind me. And then it kind of got a bit blurry. She turned up, started setting up all the stuff, and she's like, hey, Lance, I think you're ready to push. And I was like, no, I think I just need to go to the toilet. And she's like, yeah, I think that's your baby. <laughs> she goes, if you really want, I can set, you know, the, push, the pillows up and stuff in the bathroom, and you can try to go to the bathroom. And once again, I tried to stand up, and I was like, no, I'm, I can't move. I can't move. She's like, well, can I check you? Because I was kneeling on my, I was on my knees at this point on my bed, and she's like, "Can you can you flip over so I can check you?" I was like, "No, I can't move." She's like, "You can." I'm like, "No, I can't." <laughs> so I flipped over. Eventually, um, she checked me. She's like, "So the head's right there. So you want to start pushing?" I was like, "No," because I need to push. She's like, "Yeah, you can." And, I, and at some point, Sarah had turned up. Yeah. So I was on on my side. And that's how I delivered. It was the opposite side, but it was on my side. And then I was like, okay, all right, I'll surrender. I'll do it. You're right. I do need to push. I'll, okay, I got this. I'm going to start pushing. Um, my son had woken up. So Ezra was awake. My mom had, like, gotten breakfast, done his hair. He'd come in and out of the room. He'd, like, gotten me, like, cool cloth to put on my forehead and was, like, stroking my face and kind of watching things from afar with mum. And when things got too much, he'd, like, go out of the room again and just sit with my mum. And then I did need to poo, so that happened. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't have any wet wipes because we were going to cloth diaper it and I just never got around to buying it. (laughs) 
so then my mum was like, would well, you want me to get a face cloth? I'm like, yeah, get a washcloth. And then she's like, where are they? And I'm trying to remember. I'm like, I don't know. I need a brush. Like, and I was trying to get Ezra to show her where they were. And he was just like, I don't know where they are. <laughs> and every time Rio tried to leave, I was like, get back here and put your hand on my back. So it was just like, it was fine. Like yeah. Sarah handled it and it was fine. But I was like, oh, why am I dealing with this? I should have bought wet wipes. What was I thinking? Oh, my gosh. Um, and then, so Christian was like, um, so the sack's coming out and your waters haven't broken, so you can't really feel the head, but it's right there behind the sacks. So I was like, okay. She's like, so keep pushing. And then I felt like I couldn't breathe. And mm-hmm. my voice, my throat was really raspy and it felt itchy. And I felt like in between the contractions, I didn't have enough time to take those big deep breaths in and I was like I started getting panicky I was like I can't breathe I can't breathe and Mm. so they gave me oxygen I felt a thousand times better after the oxygen Mm. and Sarah was like you need to push your voice lower because at one point I think I was like I can't breathe and got a little hysterical almost and I just needed her at that point to be like just go low you can do this and to sort of flip me back into like, oh, yeah, I'm okay. I've got this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I don't know how many pushes. It was probably about an hour of pushing. But I was like, this is painful. This is really hard. It's really hard. Especially compared to your first. <laughs> right. And Christian said that. She's like, yeah, because this is a term baby. And I'm like, but it's really hard. <laughs> it's really painful. Um, but we got, we got through it and his head came out still in the sack. Um, so my waters never broke. And I was looking forward to that because I remember having that like relief. Uh So I never got that relief. So I kept like waiting for it to happen and it never happened. And so the contractions just kept ramping up and anyway, so his head was born and I was like, all right, this is fine. Like I, once the head's out, I'm like, it's fine. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and a couple more pushes in. He came out. He, he, I think Christian said the cord was around his neck and the sack because the sack was still on his face. Like she just delivered him rather than having Rhea do it just because she wanted to make sure everything happened quickly. Um, and then he came straight onto my chest and he nuzzled his way up to my boob. And that's where he stayed for at least an hour. That's amazing. And it was great. He cried. And then he settled, and then he kind of went quiet, and Sarah was like, give him a little rub. And then he cried again, just like, good. Um, and everything was fine, and I felt great. I felt super shaky, that trem- tremor that you get afterwards, pretty weak. I had tried to drink fluids during that time and felt so nauseated by it that I couldn't really. And then I was like, okay, I'm thirsty now. I can drink now. Um and then the placenta, like, because the placenta took a while the first time, I was kind of expecting that it would the second time, um, which it did. And Christian gave me some of her tincture, which helped. Um, she pulled, like, kind of tugged a couple times and was like, it's not quite ready yet. And then eventually, I think it was about an hour later, yeah. um, I wasn't bleeding. She wasn't concerned. And then placenta came out, all intact. Um, Ezra was in there and... Got to cut the cord, which was really great. Um, he saw the whole birth. He it's amazing. Still tells me, like, remember I was putting him to bed one night and he was like, you know, mum, 
I'm really proud of you. And I was like, what for? And he's like, for pushing out baby soul. That was hard work. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Yeah, it was hard work, but thank you. Yes, thank you. And what a gift to like show him, you know, as a, as a boy and, you know, be a man to see normal birth. And it's so interesting that he was your age when, yes. you know, when you saw yeah. birth for the first time. Totally. So sweet. Which was another reason I wanted a home birth, because I had heard from other mums that siblings weren't allowed in birth rooms unless you had someone else there yeah. to take them and, and care for them. And I wasn't sure if my mum was definitely going to be there for my birth, so I was like, well, I'm not, not having my child there. He deserves yeah. to see that part of their family growing, you know, and... He loved it. He had been watching birth videos and looking at birth photos on Instagram for a couple of months in preparation for it. Like I eased him into it. I showed him babies first and showed him pregnancy and showed him birth photos and showed him birth. So he was kind of obsessed all the time. You know, are you going to have a water birth, mom? Are you going to get in the tub? And can I get in the tub? I'm like, I'm not going to have a tub. Right. <laughs> That's too much effort. Probably became more informed than yeah. the general public. Yeah, it was, it was really sweet to see. Um, so then like once the placenta came, I felt pretty like weak and shaky. He was feeding, he went straight onto the boob and was nursing fine. Um, and then they did the newborn exam and everything checked out all good. (laughs) And then I got to have lunch. (laughs) Told Rio, I was like, I want a burger with like double patties of meat and I want a Guinness, a pint of Guinness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was like, all right, let's make you it happen. And my mom was like, I want the same. <laughs> <laughs> my mom is tiny, like if you saw her and she was a vegetarian for a long time. So she's very skinny, small lady. And she was like, I'm going to have a double, you know, patty burger as well. And she ate the whole thing. Um, it was just so nice. It was so nice to not have to be rushed out of my delivery room into a postpartum room and then be discharged the next morning. I didn't have to worry about getting to a hospital. I didn't have to worry about getting home from a hospital. Like, it was just so relaxed. And not having to go to the NICU and go to the right. first feedings. And right, and trying to express milk into a, you know, into a syringe to feed them. You know, it was just so much more chilled out. Um, my neighbor, my neighbor actually came around later on that day because she saw Rio. She's like, has Lana had the baby yet? And he goes, yeah, this morning she had the baby. She goes, oh, good, I'll come around. And so she came around. <laughs> I was still naked. I hadn't, I don't think I'd showered yet either. I was sitting on my bed and my mom was like, oh, um, I don't know if she's ready to see. She's like, I'll just come in and find it on my way around. Oh, my God. I mean, she was sweet enough, but I was like, whoa, Okay. <laughs> And then she was like, you know, you can't have beans in the first six weeks and you have to keep, um, you have to keep your, you have to wear socks. And she was telling me all this stuff about like her cultural mm-hmm. things from Cuba. And I was like, yeah, this is, this is interesting, but also I'd like to have a shower. First. <laughs> first. Having um, but yeah, no, it was so nice. I think what was good was that it was the middle of summer. So it was warm enough. I didn't have to worry about feeling freezing cold. It also kept me inside because it was too hot to go outside. It was the one thing that I think stopped me from getting out with that. Christian was like, you're doing too much. I'm like, I don't know. But I also find it really hard to sit still postpartum. I did bleed for a lot longer. I had a lot more pain. I didn't tear. Christian was really good about putting hot towels on my perineum. And honestly, it was 
like touching an angel like when yeah. she did that I was like oh my god the relief and I didn't tell her about it until a couple of days later I was like you know that was the best thing wow. during the entire birth was that feeling of you putting a warm cloth on her it was like just saved me from so much pain and she was like well I'm glad that something so simple helped I'm like yeah, yeah it did <laughs> I had like a, I think I had a tiny abrasion on the upper part which um she had said to me like I think you might, I could feel the, the pain there. Mm. She's like, put your hand there to kind of counter the pressure as it's coming out. So I did have my hand up above while I was breathing. Some of this is probably a little muddled and she'd be a lot better at being able to tell me what exactly went down. But that's how I remember. Yeah, it's perspective. <laughs> and I, I go, remember afterwards, the first thing I said to Rhea was that I'm not doing that again. I'm not having another baby. Now I'm like, yeah, I could probably have another right. baby. But at that time I was like, no way. That was too hard. It's a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. Even though, you know, so many ways that birth was redemptive, you know, and um, yes. and what you wanted, but it's it was it was harder in other ways too, because mm-hmm. yeah, you had this first experience that was so unusual and uncommon. Yeah. Um but in some ways, yeah, smoother yes. of a delivery. Yes. So Which I think when, when Christian first brought up, like, you know, it, your first birth can it is trauma. Like, that's birth trauma. But in my head, I was like, it was a pretty perfect birth. Mm. Like, I sat and labored the way I imagined all these women on the farm labored. Mm-hmm. I just did it on a hospital bed. And I, you know, felt great. I was laughing. I was left alone. Like, I had all of the components mm of the birth that I wanted were still there. It just happened in a hospital. And it was really like everything that happened afterwards that I felt was more traumatic. Yeah. Um, this birth and pregnancy, I think is, his personality is so different to Ezra's personality. He is calm, he's happy, he doesn't really cry. He hasn't had any of that overstimulation. And, you know, he had attachment with me from the very beginning. He had that, you know, that golden hour where they're just, you just get to be. And there's a photo where I kind of look a bit vacant with him on me. Like, you can't tell that I'm happy. I don't look like, you know, these birth, birth photos that people post, it's like them yeah. so blistered. I can look kind of vacant to me, like, because I felt vacant. I was just having this, like, pause after the delivery of, like, what just happened? Yeah. There's a baby on me now. Give me a second. Yes. And I think that that not initial, like, oh, my God, I just want to hold my baby feeling can sometimes trip people up a little bit because you're like, do I love my child? Mm. But you do. It's just that you need a moment to kind of step back and be like, I just did that. <laughs> Give me a second. And process. Yeah. And come back into your body and brain and totally because you were in the underworld for hours <laughs> yes. basically and yeah absolutely that's very common but there is it's sort of there's this perhaps it's not talked about or mm-hmm. there's a stigma that like you should feel x y and z yes you should feel this instant connection with your child and it's like you do and and I think with with Ezra in particular I I definitely held off on that feeling because I didn't know if what kind of state he was going to be in I didn't know how healthy he was going to be I had to protect myself mm. from feeling so 
like emotionally out of control if something went wrong. So it was almost this barrier that went up. Like I took that pause. It was amazing. He cried straight away and that gave me like hope that everything was going to be okay. And I think instinctively I knew that, but I also had to put up this practicality barrier. Like, yeah, you know, if something goes wrong, you, you kind of have to give yourself space. Yeah. Um, and I think having him and not having any complications and still having that moment where you feel that barrier, it was kind of eye-opening for me. I was like, oh, that's a totally normal part of delivering a baby. Yeah. You just need time to process and they need time to process as well. Like all of a sudden they're in this crazy bright world and they don't know anything else but you. Yeah. And so you have to be still to give them that time to adjust. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think him having that, he's such a chill baby. <laughs> yeah, nothing was rushed or forced upon no. him or you. Or... No, there was no loud noises during the birth apart from my own, you know, <laughs> like guttural animal sounds that yeah. you make that you've never heard before in your life. You know, didn't even know you're capable of making those noises. Mm. It was, yeah, it was a very different experience, but also very similar. And so wonderful for Ezra to see and so wonderful. I think it was very healing for Rio as well. Mm, I bet. To have a healthy baby be born into the world where they were supposed to be born. Wow. And get to cuddle them straight away and spend all that time with them too. It was, I think, very affirming for him. That's amazing. And that's so important, especially as a partner. And their main concern is safety and and protective. And when finally it goes as it should, you know, then it feels like they also did a good job, too, right. in protecting that space and right. supporting the right decision. And Yeah, I could not amazing. have, I could have not have done the labor without him. Like, I really relied on him. I don't think I relied on him so much in the, with the first one, but... Mm-hmm. I really relied on him for pain control. Like I needed that counter pressure. I needed him to be there. I felt not out of control, but like I just, I needed that backup mm. from him. And, and I think he needed to give it to me. So yeah, a role. And- yeah. Yeah, totally. And cause my mom, like that wasn't going to be her role at the birth. And she knew that that wasn't her role last time. And she knew that that wasn't going to be her role again. Mm-hmm. And your midwife isn't that role either. They're there for, for you and the baby. So, yeah, I think it was he needed to be there. And I think for, for women that don't have that, then I guess a doula or someone else who's had that experience would be your second best option. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, I mean, all of this has been so wise and so helpful, but is there any sort of quick um tidbits of you know what would be your wise words of women planning an unmedicated planning unmedicated births and this could be both hospital but Mm -hmm. but also out of hospital um as far as physically mentally i think in both births there is a point where you're like i cannot do this anymore I'm not going to survive. I'm going to die. And if you remember that you know that that exists Mm. during the birth and when you get to that point, you can rationally tell yourself this is normal and this just means that you're about to have a baby. Totally. (laughs) Because there are so many times when I just felt like, oh, my God, I'm going to die. 
I'm going to die. This is it. I'm going to die. And it, it doesn't last that long, but it is the beginning of you about to push your baby out. Mm-hmm. And if you can tell yourself that, you can get through it. I think that would be the number one thing. And if you're going to have a birth in hospital, just make sure that the person that you're with also knows your wishes to not have a medicated birth. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's very easy. I mean, I've talked to mums here who are like, yeah, the epidural set up before you even get into the room. And one mum said to me that she had a, you know, she had an unmedicated birth and they tried, they asked her, they asked her several times rather than waiting for her to ask mm. for it. They asked her and she's like, I don't need it. I'm fine. Um, and she, afterwards they were like, oh, we're amazed. You know, less than 2% of our women, you know, don't ha- have epidurals. I've never, we never really see that. And so just know that that's the norm for them. It's not personal. It's, it's not personal. Yeah. So if they're asking, you can say no but you still get to ask for it later if you just change your mind. Absolutely. That's so helpful. Thank you so much, Alana. And baby Saul, who was such a good participant. (laughs) A little bit noisier than you. So much to say. It was a great story. (laughs) It was a long story. Yes. Thank you. No problem. Thanks for listening to Milk Trails. I'm your host and midwife, Haley Oaks. Be sure to visit midwifemilktrails.tumblr.com to access the show's notes, view photographs, or leave your comments. Stay tuned about new episodes by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes and tell all your pregnant friends about it. We'll catch you next time.